In Colorado, one in every 11 persons are living with some form of diabetes. This estimates over 400,000 persons. Another 1.3 million in the state have prediabetes, with 90% being totally unaware. This translates into $3.6 billion in health care dollars being spent on treating diabetes and its associated complications. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Management of one's blood sugar during the holiday period more than any other time of the year is a particularly strong challenge. With suggestions to support and assist, here with us again is Dr. Jane Roosh, Director of Medicine, Bioengineering, and Diabetes at the University of Colorado Anschultz Medical Campus in Aurora. Are there some indicators that I would know of that says, you know, Adam, you better go see Dr. Jane here because something's up. You know, and that is just really one of the best questions you could possibly ask because of people with prediabetes, only 10% of the 84 million people in the United States with prediabetes know they have it. Only 10%? Right. So in the VA where I work, we have a lot more screening. At the age 45, you should already start getting screened for prediabetes and diabetes, regardless of your background. Okay. Now, now is that that A1C test that helps screen for prediabetes? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Go ahead. Or diabetes. Yeah. Um, and at, at age 45, everybody, somebody like me with a family history, if I had been overweight or very sedentary, they should have screened me maybe even earlier. Data are exceptional that it's very cost-effective to get screened at age 45. Is this this an annual screening you need to get? You get it at age 45 and every three years thereafter. Okay. All right. And then once you um, have that information, you can use it to join a a, a diabetes prevention program or just start Mm -hmm. to engage in physical activity and medical nutrition therapy. Now, some people go to health fairs Mm -hmm. and they get the blood test Mm -hmm. and all that stuff done. Uh, So it's a good idea to keep those records. And if you see movement in that A1C number, now that number is going up or is it going down? It will go up. It will go up. A number above 5.7% means we should be starting to pay careful attention to this. Yeah. Now, that test, like so many medical tests, is not perfect. So you don't just do it once. Right. You usually would repeat it. Right. You have to see a trend. Right. And you would repeat it. And then you would, you know, start to pay attention. And if you had a family member with diabetes, you'd pay a little more attention. Okay. Well, 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 the more practical question is that you have a couple of times a year during the summer when everybody's doing parties outside and all that and cooking on the grill. You know, that comes up. Mm -hmm. And then you have those Christmas holidays where there's food, 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 food. Right. How do you manage yourself? So, one, if you have it, that you're going to keep your blood sugar intact. Or, two, you don't want to get it. Right. Is is there a management of the food that you can do to make sure that you're going to be okay when January comes? Right. So there is is absolutely nothing magical in that equation. Um, And so it's really sort of a matter of ownership and accountability. What we call that in diabetes is self-efficacy. If I tell myself, wow, you know, I just had a – an annual checkup, and they told me that I had prediabetes. Christmas season is coming, and I love, for example, fudge. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Now, this is a true story for me, and so so I'm saying, okay, I love fudge. So what I'm going to do if I go to a party or if I'm cooking fudge for for my, my lab group because they love fudge, um, then I am going to tell myself I'm going to set aside one piece of fudge. I can't, 
It is not true that I can never in my life eat a piece of fudge. But you don't want to eat the whole what half the pan of fudge. I need to not eat half the pan of fudge. And what I want to do is tell myself, I'm going to go to this party and there's going to be all sorts of be- beautiful fruits and vegetables and salads and I'm going to eat them first and I'm going to try and pay attention to them. So I can look at my plate and I can say, I want half of my plate at least – if not a little bit more, to be green or red or orange. I really want to look at my plate and say, I'm making it something beautiful, Mm -hmm. and beauty makes food taste better, and and I'm going to enhance that fruit and vegetable intake. And if I eat a piece of fudge or something, maybe I don't eat something else. Um, But come on. Okay, guys. No, it's real. Guys, guys, no, yeah, 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 but... When you think about these buffets and the way it comes out, the vegetables come out, <laughs> right? The fruits come out, but everybody's got their eye on that piece of meat, yeah, <laughs> that turkey. Mm-hmm. And, and when you pass the plate around, they they don't put the broccoli on there first. Uh, oh, excuse me, I want the turkey leg. Excuse me, I want the big slice of honey baked ham. But what you're saying is that really change your orientation there so that you say, give me the broccoli, give me this. And then the last spot is for the honey baked ham. Right. And actually, there is a technique that was developed by a group down in Baton Rouge and a a, a scientist named Tim Church um, uh, where he took and he and he um, developed this strategy in school cafeterias and then has expanded it to adults of if you're looking at an overall buffet – yeah. That you actually step backwards through the buffet. You start, you're looking at the dessert, you're looking at those rolls and the butter at the end, and then you come backwards through it. And right. then you plan your plate. So you see, what are all those options? And I want to plan my plate so that those options make sense for me. So that at the end of that plate, it's okay if I stick a brownie on there. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, because I've made a lot of other good choices. But also you're getting at a really important thing because even your tone of voice when you're asking that question is about an implicit bias that we all share. That type 2 diabetes, which is so related to obesity and sedentary behavior, is somebody's fault. It is possible to weigh 300 pounds and have absolutely normal carbohydrate metabolism. Yeah, I'm just about to say, say something like that because you have a lot of people who whose weight is under control and guys I know who are thin and they still have heart attacks. Right, right. And so the same thing is so important with this messaging around type 2 diabetes. Di- if I have the wrong genes, okay, so I'm prone to development of diabetes. So I'm doing the things in terms of physical activity and a little bit less robustly in terms of diet in terms to try and keep me from progressing to diabetes, okay? I don't want to have diabetes. I hate diabetes. Diabetes does bad things to people and their blood vessels yeah. and and their kidneys and their eyes. And so I, I don't want to have diabetes. I don't want my seven siblings to have diabetes. Right. It is my goal to not develop diabetes, but it's also my goal not to blame people, the 30 million people in the United States who have type 2 diabetes for having Mm -hmm. it because diabetes will shorten your life expectancy, increase your risk for heart attack, increase your risk for stroke, increase your risk for amputation, increase your risk for blindness and kidney failure. So if your sibling said to you, 
I just developed a disease that's going to do that has the possibility of doing all these bad things to me, and that disease was cancer. You would not judge them, yeah. but if that disease is diabetes, you and the rest of society will judge them. And it is really important. Really, are they doing it like that? Because people, I've never seen that to be a yeah. People an are issue. embarrassed that they have type two diabetes. They deny it. Um, and, really, you, you see this question mark in the middle of my face because. Yeah. Um, I, I've been through cancer with people and helped them through it. Yeah. And, and, and as soon as you see you say the C word, everybody goes, "Ooh, my goodness!" You know, right? Better, better not Absolutely. With you. I haven't seen that with diabetes. Yeah. And 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 it is if we do surveys of people with, living with diabetes. Sure. We see so much guilt and blame. People blaming themselves for their low levels of physical activity and their dietary changes. People blaming themselves. Um, uh, for the for this disease and whatever happens to them with it. So how you think about it? Exercise, the right foods, right makes the case for it's very very manageable. It's manageable, and then, but it is also slowly progressive, which means that if I can manage it really well with diet and physical activity at age fifty, but I live to be ninety. It's very likely that by 90, I will need any number of medications to help me manage the glucoses, mm-hmm. manage my blood pressure, or you may manage not. my cholesterol. I may not, but the likelihood is that I will. Yeah. And yeah. so what people also need is not to feel bad when their diabetes progresses because that's just biology. Okay. So um, earlier you had asked about the medications for diabetes. So we have medications that um, help you to secrete more insulin. Mm -hmm. We have medications that help your liver to respond better to insulin. Medications that help your skeletal muscle respond better to medication or, or to insulin. Sure. And we have medications now that spill glucose out into the urine. So you can just pee out a little bit of extra glucose. And those medications all can work together on what we as researchers have identified as the underlying physiology of diabetes. And so um, that's exciting. But sometimes those medicines still need a little kick in the butt with some extra insulin. Yeah. And so people should not have the message that they want to avoid insulin. If their blood sugar requires insulin – just like if their blood pressure requires two or three medicines, they should just take the insulin. And the insulin needles are so teeny. It's the finger sticks. You're that not getting take. away with that with me. I'm sorry. I'm still having aversion of needles. Right. You'll <laughs> be like well, a great doctor. You put a nice smile and say, give me that vein. <laughs> right. I, I'm not saying people love to take insulin. And yeah, there yeah. are there is certainly research undergoing for inhaled insulin, nasal insulin, oral yeah. insulin. It's those 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 technologies and those ways. Ways to deliver insulin are not there yet. But there's no cure for diabetes. Well, there's no cure um, for diabetes in general as we know it. Yeah. But if somebody is very severely obese or overweight, then um, a, an intervention with something like a gastric bypass surgery or a gastric banding um, surgery can actually send diabetes into remission. So we can start to use the same kind of language that we use for cancer mm, about remission. Really? Now, if I – Like who, that. Right. If I, who am not severely overweight, would develop diabetes, that would probably not work for me. 
right? Mm -hmm. But if the obesity is one of the main factors driving my diabetes, then, and particularly now we have children developing type 2 diabetes. Yeah, because again, because of lack of exercise, that whole PE in school thing. Right. And then there's probably also really... Lack yeah, of. none, none, and also unsafe living environments. The kids at the highest risk for development of, of type two diabetes as adolescents are kids living in very unfortunate socioeconomic um, uh, circumstances. There's a lot of increase in in both African Americans and and the Latina Latinx population. There is there be, and and that is be, is often. Um, there's some genetic predisposition, and then also there may be a very out of control life where mm-hmm. where the where there's not enough resources for that kid to be eating regular meals with their families. So right, and nobody's just, home to even when they come out of school being right. latchkey kids to control what right. they're eating coming out of the refrigerator. Right. So that is that's a um, a very um, challenging uh, situation because. Then as we're trying to intervene on these young kids, they just don't have the kind of family support yeah. um, that, that we may have with other kind of childhood onset diabetes. Dr. Jane Roosh, professor of medicine, bioengineering, biochemistry, endocrinology, metabolism, and diabetes at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus and national board member of the American Diabetes Association, has been sharing her insight on the subject of diabetes. We continue to learn more on the topic along with the work of the American Diabetes Association on our next edition. You can also learn more by going online to diabetes.org or at 800-342-2383. That's 800-342-2383. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And many thanks to you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us.